0: Good morning Holland Chapel. Uh, My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here and it's good to be uh, with you. I missed you last weekend. Uh, A few of us were able to go up to Northwest Arkansas and worship with our church plant, Story Church. And so it was a great time uh, there with them last weekend and we're praising God for what he's doing in that corner of our state. And then later today in the 1045 service, we've actually got a few families from Cleveland, uh, who were a part of a church that you planted uh, about 15 years ago. And so they came down, and they have heard about Holland Chapel uh, for many years, and so they are super excited to be here and to get to worship with Holland Chapel uh, later uh, today. All right. So, the already not yet. Uh, The kingdom of God... It is already here. We, we, we are a part of God's kingdom, but it's not yet fully realized. And what that looks like for followers of Jesus is your sins have been forgiven, but yet we continue to struggle with sin on a daily basis. You've, you've been adopted into God's family, but we're not yet living with him in the perfect heaven. We're living in this already not yet stage And following Jesus in this time and place can be difficult uh, because there are temptations, there are distractions, there are discouragements. And sometimes this life, this journey of following Jesus can be like we're just trying to survive in the wilderness. Well, in the Old Testament, we see a literal wilderness. And we see the people of God, Israel, living in an already not yet stage as well. They had already received the promise of a land, but they were not yet living in that land. They had already been freed from bondage in Egypt, but they were not yet experiencing the fullness of that freedom. They were not yet possessing the land of Canaan. They were literally in the wilderness. In in God's word, we find a very clear connection between Israel's wilderness and our journey of following Jesus today. And so we're gonna begin this series through the book of Numbers by going to 1 Corinthians. So if you've got the word with you on your phone or you can follow along on the screen, we're gonna read a section of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And sometimes when I'm having a conversation with someone, uh, I just miss what they said. I haven't been able to process it. And I'll have to, to request, hey, can you, can you go back and tell me that again? And so as we read the scripture today, we're going to read it slowly uh, just to help us kind of process uh, what's going on here and what God is uh, sharing with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 1. I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them and that rock was Christ. Yet God was not pleased with most of them and their bodies were scattered In the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. We're thankful for the word of God. What we've got going on in this passage here is missionary Paul is writing to the church in the city of Corinth. And he's reminding them of things from the Old Testament scriptures. He's reminding them of of the history of Israel. And so some of the things that we're reading about are part of that story and experiences that the people had. And Paul writes so many and says, these happened, these were examples, these were things that we can learn from. If God doesn't want us to forget, as he says in his word here, if these things are examples for us, if they were written down as warnings if there are valuable lessons to be learned for our journey with Jesus, well, then we want to know the story. We want to study the story. We want to allow God to teach us through his word. And these lessons that were written down as warnings so that we would remember to teach us, these lessons are recorded in the Old Testament book of Numbers And this morning is going to serve as an introduction or or kind of an overview of the book of Numbers and an introduction to this series. And the goal is us becoming a little more familiar and prepared to hear uh, and grow in God's word throughout the next few months. Uh, Next Sunday is Mother's Day, and that's going to be the theme of the the message then. But then the following week, May 16th, we're going to pick back up with part two of this series. So let's start with background. The background of numbers. Uh, first off, what's what's with the name? All right. So we're studying the book of Numbers, we're calling it Lessons from the Wilderness. Uh, Well, when we were thinking about uh, what to call this, you know, we didn't want to call it Lessons uh, from Numbers because we only know a few actuaries and accountants that would get excited about that, uh, that just really love math. Uh, And so Lessons from the Wilderness, that sounds a a lot more exciting and interesting. Uh, And actually, if we look at the name of the book, so uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Back a, a couple thousand years ago, they, Old Testament was written in Hebrew, New Testament was written in Greek language originally, and so the Greek translation of the Old Testament was called the Septuagint, and the, the, Greek, the Septuagint titled this book Numbers, and it makes sense because a lot of what we read here are, are lists and, and, and numbers, and, and that's the part of the Old Testament where we say, oh, that's so... It's so boring. How do we read through all that list of people and families and numbers? And, and, and we get that. Yeah, some of that is kind of like, ah. Uh, all right? So, so that was the, the Greek. That's how we get the English title is from the Greek uh, name of it, which is Numbers. The Hebrew title for this book of the Bible is actually uh, translated in the wilderness, and it comes from verse 1 of this book, which reads, A year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai. And that's where we get the Hebrew name, which is in the wilderness. So that's what's up with the name. The second thing, as we think about the background of this book, is it's the fourth book of the Bible. And it's in the section of Scripture. Uh, we, we, you can actually go through the Bible, Old and New Testament, and you can see that it's broken, broken uh, apart into different divisions or sections. Uh, there's poetry or, or wisdom literature. There's the letters. There's the history books. There's the prophets. And, and Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible, and it's part of the law or the Torah. Uh, and a lot of times today we call it, Pentateuch, which simply means five books, so that's where it is in the, in, in 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 this. If you're you're looking uh, looking to find it, go back towards the beginning. Uh, third thing, as we think about the background here, is narrative literature. We think about different genres of literature, and this is narrative. And so there are some lists and collections of laws, and that's the the boring numbers part. Um, but half of the book is narrative. Uh, narrative is that genre, that type of literature that's in story form, uh, where we have a plot, we have settings, we have characters. Um, in narrative, we learn from examples of the story rather than just being told uh, to trust God and and to do this or to do that. We learn from the examples. We learn from the stories of. Individuals who have trusted God. Also, uh, just because we use the term story, it's not to imply that these events aren't historical events. They, they are very much historical events, but more than just history in narrative scripture, we also have theology, uh, and that is that we can learn about God through these stories. Uh, so a little Bible interpretation uh, just kind of kind of helps that, that might help us uh, think about Scripture and really love and grow in God's Word more and more. Uh, a couple of professors from down the street at Ouachita, uh several years ago wrote a Bible interpretation textbook that's used in Bible colleges and seminaries called Grasping God's Word. And they wrote about the advantages of using narrative story form uh, to teach theology. Here we go, we're just gonna run through this list. Number one, uh, narrative is interesting both to children and adults. We all love a good story. We'll sit around campfire and listen to a good story. Uh, we'll, at, at nighttime, we want to, before we, before we go to sleep, we wanna uh, read uh, part of a, a good story. Children and adults, all of us, we love stories. Uh, second, uh, narrative pulls us into the action of the story. Uh, we're drawn to that. We feel like we're a part of it. Uh, third, uh, narrative usually depicts real life and, and they're easy to relate to. We can we can can think about like what would I have done if I was in that situation? Fourth, a narrative can portray the ambiguities and complexities of life. Uh, we see some of those complications of life. Uh, fifth benefit of, of narrative to teach theology is it's easy to remember. We can remember stories. If you tell your children stories, they can tell you that story back. Uh, in, 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 in kids, as we're teaching kids about God's word, we, we, we like to, to go to those big Bible stories and we think about some of those big characters and some of those big, well-known events from the scriptures. Uh, stories are easy to remember. Sixth, God can include himself as one of the characters in the narratives. Uh, so he can teach us uh, about himself by what he says and how he, how he responds in different uh, contexts. Seventh, narratives are holistic. We see the entire character. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly. We get the struggle and we get the victory. We see, we see the full 360 there. And eight, narratives can relate short incidents and events to a bigger overall story. And so, like we're going to be looking at this specific period in the life of history, but we're going to see how it connects to the rest of God's story or God's history, and we'll see how it connects to something else. So, that's advantages uh, that comes from uh, Duvall and Hayes and, and grasping God's word. Now, let's get back to the kind of the background. The fourth part of the background that we want to be aware of is that. This book of Numbers covers Israel's 40-year journey between Egypt and the land of Canaan. Now, I thought flamingos were just in the zoo or in front yards. But did you know that Israel may have seen pink flamingos on this journey in the wilderness? And did you know... What a ten! What what, what, what what a flamingo becomes after it's ten days old, eleven days old. <laughs> La- that's, that's all I got. Lavie <laughs> La- tavi. That's, <all> <laughs> La- that's 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 the quality. <laughs> yes! Wow. <laughs> But here's the deal, this tells the the, the 40 year journey in the wilderness from Egypt to the land of Canaan, the the land that God had promised that they would possess. But it should not have taken them that long. It was not a, a journey, a trip that would literally take 40 years, it was 40 years because they didn't trust God They didn't trust God to to give them that, to fulfill his promise to them. And so he allowed an entire generation of people to stay in the wilderness, to live there, and to die there. And then it was the next generation, their children, who would actually enter the promised land. And we see them getting ready for that at the end of this book. The big theme that we see throughout this 40-year journey is Israel's rebellion They complain against God. They don't trust God. They struggle with unbelief. And yet throughout that, Israel's rebellion and unbelief, we see God's faithfulness. He doesn't quit on his people. He continues, there's discipline, but he continues to be faithful to them. Fifth uh, thing on the background is, is this book is referenced throughout the rest of scripture. The prophets recall the lessons from the wilderness. The, the wisdom literature, Psalms, refers to these lessons from the wilderness in the book of Numbers. The Gospels point back to this. Uh, the New Testament letters point back to some of these specific lessons and events from the book of Numbers. All right, so let's let's think for just a minute about some of the key passages because some of you, uh, you've, you've read through the scriptures before and you're thinking, I think that story that you remember, because stories are easy to remember, I think that happens in numbers. And so let's just walk through some of the key passages that we're going to be highlighting and teaching on. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture, all scripture, right? Even the Pentateuch uh, Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, all Scripture, even the prophets, Habakkuk, all Scripture, even uh, uh, Job and Ecclesiastes, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it that is scripture, to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses his word to help us on our journey of following Jesus. It's very applicable. In Lessons from the Wilderness, may we be encouraged, may we be corrected and taught as we journey. And here are the key passages. Uh, first, you may be familiar with this, Numbers 6, 24 through 26. In this, we see God's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. And this is some, sometimes uh, something we share as a benediction at worship gatherings. Uh, uh, so this is, we see God's blessing on the people of Israel, on his people. And and, and that reminds us of the blessing from God that we have. As Ephesians says, in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing. God's, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So we see God's blessing. Uh, another key passage here is, number in, is found in Numbers chapter nine. And what would direct the people of Israel at, during this 40 year period was God's presence that was manifested in a pillar of cloud and fire. And when the cloud and fire would move, well, Israel would pack up camp and they would move. And when the cloud and the fire would stay over the camp, they would stay and continue to camp there. And we're reminded there as we think about the cloud and fire and their obedience and following, we think about how we follow the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how we can obey God uh, today. In Numbers 11 and 12... And throughout the rest of the book, we see a lot of complaining and a lot of grumbling. Oh, this is so rough. This is so tough. Why do you, you know? Why is that happening? Why is this happening? Why can't we have this? Why can't we have that? We see a lot of complaining and grumbling in Numbers thirteen and fourteen. Someone asked me this morning what was my favorite story from Numbers. And and I I think I've got to go here to this passage in Numbers 13 and 14. And we see this struggle with unbelief uh, versus belief, trusting in God. And they were preparing to enter that land that God had promised them. And and so some spies went to check out the land. And ten of them came back and said, we can't do it. We don't believe God's really going to give us that land, but there were two men who said, let's trust God. In Numbers 20 and 21, we see a water from the rock to provide for the people, and then we see the bronze snake that was lifted up, and and people could look and be healed, and and those point us to Jesus. In Numbers 22 and 25, we see this, 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 this prophet who was not an Israelite, And he was hired to curse the people of God. But God would only allow him to speak blessing. However, we do see that he he caused the people to be tempted. And they turned from worshiping God alone. And and the people of Israel struggled with that. Uh, They began to worship other gods of some of the other People throughout the wilderness experience, and in spite of Israel's rebellion and complaining and lack of trust, God was faithful, and He continues to be faithful in our lives today. All right, maybe you've been uh, going to the wilderness, going to, to camp for a weekend or something, and 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 and, and maybe you've taken some kids with you. And and you go to set up camp, and it is not organized. It is not prepared. Uh, You're trying to put together the the tent, and and you're missing parts because they were placed somewhere else in another bag, and they're back at your shop at the house. And and you're trying to to get together the food, and and someone forgot to to put the hot dogs in the ice chest, and it's just kind of scattered. And when you get out of the car, instead of everybody coming around and helping and being organized, everyone, all the kids just scatter in the woods, and you're trying to call them back and get back because you need some organization you need to be able to get everything ready well it wasn't just complete chaos on this journey for Israel there was some organization that there was some some preparation that that, that God uh, uh, did with them for this journey and so we look back at the beginning in numbers two where we see some of this organization of the camp and we see how that, that played out in numbers chapter two verses one and 2, Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. When the Israelites set up camp, each tribe will be assigned its own area. The tribal divisions will camp beneath their family banners on all four sides of the tabernacle, uh, but at some distance from it. So the tabernacle, which was where God's dwelling place was among the people, and it's where they would, would assemble to worship him. So the tabernacle was in the center of the camp. So there was an arrangement there. There was organization. The Levites, which was the priestly tribe uh, that was responsible for the tabernacle, they surrounded. They would camp surrounding the tabernacle. And then the other tribes of Israel set up camp on the north, the east, the south, and the west of camp. Now, The tabernacle was in the center. And this wasn't an uncommon layout in in the ancient times for the kings to be in the center of camp. But there's a couple of uh, significant things for us to to pay attention to as we, we wrap this up this morning. First off, God's presence with them in the center of camp shows that God's not just waiting on the other side. He's not just waiting on the other side of the journey for them to get to the land of Canaan but he's traveling with them throughout their wilderness experience. And That reminds us of how God is present with us as well. When times are good and when times are bad, God is traveling with us. Sometimes my prayer uh, for others is that they would be experiencing God's presence uh, because he is there. And so may we be experiencing God's presence, may we be acknowledging God's presence through all stages of life, the the, the good times and, and the victories and also the struggles and the hard times. Second thing of significance here with the arrangement of the camp is that physically God was positioned right there in the center. And today, spiritually, God belongs in the center of our lives and of our church as well. Jesus is worthy of that prominence in our lives. Jesus is worthy of that priority. He's he's worthy of that attention. Just as God had freed and delivered Israel from bondage in Egypt and set them on this journey to the promised land, Jesus has freed, has delivered us from our bondage to sin by his death on the cross and his resurrection. And he set us on a journey of following him. And Jesus is worthy of the center, the priority of our lives on this journey. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he, talking about Jesus, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who, who died for them and was raised again. And so as we just wrap up this message... We want to think about Jesus being at the center of our lives. As God was at the center of the camp of Israel in their wilderness, is Jesus in the center of our lives as we journey with him today? There's a few things that we might process and think about there to to answer that question for ourselves. One is, do I need to place my trust in him and, and really begin that journey of following Jesus, the one who died for me and was raised again? Do I need to ask Him to forgive me of, of my sins and to come into my life and to, to be my leader today to place Him, to acknowledge his, 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 his prominence in my life? Another question that we might ask ourselves is Am I acknowledging His presence with me? I'm in a struggle right now, I'm in a hard time right now. Am I acknowledging God's presence? Am I leaning into him and trusting him through this hardship and this struggle? Or maybe your things are sweet. Am I leaning in and thanking God for his presence in my life now? Acknowledging his blessings. So do I need to acknowledge his presence with me on this journey Maybe there's another spiritual decision where you're saying, yes, to make Jesus the center of my life, I, I need to I need to obey him in baptism. I need to get plugged in and begin serving. There may be some other spiritual decisions. But I want you to think about that. And, and here at Holland Chapel, we try and make it easy to respond. And so there's some ways that you can make that spiritual decision today. It's Really simple. It's not complicated. It's not a jigsaw puzzle. That might take me 40 years. Three simple ways that you could respond today is one, in person, before you leave here, this worship gathering, stop in the Connect corner there, talk to some of our friends uh, about trusting Jesus, about getting plugged in, about whatever the spiritual decision that is. A second way that you could respond is that Connect card, either uh, the hardback copy or, or the, the online Connect card, and just fill that out and, and mark what questions you have or, or, or decisions you're making. And the third is just to take action and do what you know God is telling you to do. Uh, Let's stand and and pray together as we think about that, and then we'll sing a closing song. Father in heaven, you are good. There is absolutely no doubt about that. As we've sung about your goodness this morning, as we've sung about your faithfulness, as as we've sung about uh, King Jesus who is worthy of the center of our lives. There is no doubt about your goodness. There's no doubt about your faithfulness. There's no doubt about how worthy you are for our time this morning and for being the center of our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen.